Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. I'm Katie Montgomery Mears. I'm one of the pastors on the clergy team here at St. Luke's and Branches, and just a joy to get to worship with you all this morning. So I want to begin with a pastoral admission to you, which is um, something you may not imagine that uh, I would say. It is that sometimes it is really hard for me to grasp God. Right? I mean, if, you're, if you are joining us today and maybe you're kind of like, I'm not totally sure about all of the Christianity stuff or the church stuff, you're probably thinking it's hard to grasp God. But I bet the rest of the Christians have it figured out, right? That's why they come here every week. Um, I, I would say, I would, I would challenge someone to stand up and say, I have the full grasp right? It's really hard. It is really normal that it is hard for us to fully grasp God. My kids have this book that they love. It's called, What is God Like? And it's by Rachel Held Evans and Matthew Paul Turner. And, um, and it's a children's book and it's delightful. I'd commend it to you, but here's how it begins. It says, what is God like? That's a very big question. One that people from places all around the world have wondered about since the beginning of time. And while nobody has seen all of God, because God is too big for any of us to fully see, we can know what God is like. So the book goes on to talk more and more about what God is like. And, and my question to you is, well, if none of us have ever seen God, fully got, seen God because God is so big, how do we know what God is like? I'd challenge that. I would say we have, we have fully seen God in the presence of Jesus Christ. In fact, that, that is the entire thing about the presence of Jesus Christ, about the incarnation, about Jesus living and walking on this earth for 33 years is that we got to fully see and experience God. That's what Paul's writing about in his letter to the Colossians, um, which we're going to be chatting about throughout this entire month at Branches. Let me, let me share with you uh, this declaration that Paul makes at the very beginning of that letter. Hear now these words from the first chapter, verses 11 to 20. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, so that you may have all endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me just stop there for a second. When it says he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, this is language that would have been really familiar to folks in first century Palestine. And because they had sort of this, um, this language or this imagery that they were really comfortable with about um, when a king wins a piece of land, all of the people in it become a part of the new kingdom, right? And so they were sort of used to this idea that you get fully transferred from one peoplehood and one culture and one kingdom to the other. And so what Paul Paul's trying to say is like, you have been taken out of this world and transferred into a totally different kingdom. You now have a new Lord, Lordship over your life. You now basically pay different taxes. You're now Jesus's. Okay, so picking up again, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him, all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we live in Southeast Texas in one of the flattest parts of the country. Uh, And I am from Louisiana, which is even flatter. In fact, uh, just like 15 minutes from my house in Louisiana, there is uh, an area called the Indian Mounds. And this is where Native Americans actually used to have like some burial grounds. And (laughs) if you're standing on the floor right there, the top of the Indian Mounds is like the bottom of that screen. Okay, that's the highest point above sea level in Louisiana, okay? It is a a hill, right? Um, And so when you are from a place that is just flat, when we see flatness all around us, uh, you might be like me, very interested in the mountains, very excited by them. Like I'm an excitable person when I am in the mountains. And whenever I'm there, I say to folks that are local to mountains, I'm like, tell me you never get tired of this. And you know, they do, they're like, oh no, of course not. You know, because they don't want you to feel like they do actually get tired of it, but you know they do, right? They wake up in the morning and there's just a morning where they get up and they open it up and they're like, okay, Mount Vesuvius, see you there. You know, whatever. I mean, it just doesn't feel super exciting. It's because our brains do this thing. The reason that we do this, it's called hedonic adaptation or like a hedonic treadmill. So picture this, Um, our lives are like this all of the time. We have these like highs and we have these lows. And in order to sort of keep us stable, like our brains have adapted to find this like middle ground. And so because of this thing that our brains do, this hedonic adaptation, um, all of the highs that we experience and all of the lows start to kind of come together. Now look, This can be a really good thing when you think about um, being in pain or struggling through like a hard season. Sometimes it just sort of starts to feel less hard the longer you're in it because your brain kind of like adapts it into like a norm. But the bad news is this can happen with our highs as well, right? Um, We can have things that are just awesome and spectacular, like opening our windows and seeing mountains every single day. And at some point we're just kind of thinking, Hmm, because we've just sort of adapted ourselves back to this like mid-level, right? So this is, this is the peril that we face in our spiritual lives as well. This isn't just about like our surroundings or some external circumstance to us. This is what happens in our hearts when we go through these like really incredible highs and these times of closeness to God. We have sort of this tendency to make it just flatten at some point. This is what Paul is writing to. This is the the situation that the Colossians are finding themselves in. Let me tell you, since I had mentioned that Colin's gonna be preaching about Colossians, this letter for the next couple of weeks, I wanna share with you a little bit about it, about these folks. Um, So Colossae was a city that had once been really just great. I mean, it had been one of sort of the great Greek cities and it was up until around 100 BC, um, an important agrarian, 
Sudan city, an important place for trade. It was on a big trade route. And then it ended up suffering at, um, it suffered some destruction and it kind of came back and it never came back in the same way. So by the time that Paul is writing to them, by the time that they have this early and fledgling church, um, it's, a, it's a city that is still pretty diverse because of the trade route. It had a cosmopolitan population of people that were um, Freegans and Greeks and Jews, and, uh, but it, it's smaller and it's not quite as, um, not quite as impressive as it was before. But the word of God had made it to them. Right? So Paul does an extended stint. We know the apostle Paul planted a lot of church. He does an extended stint over in Ephesus. And so he's actually not the one that uh, plants this church in Colossae. And this is unusual that he writes a letter to them because most of the letters he wrote were to his churches to be like, hey, you're my people. You know better than this. Let, rem- let me remind you of what you know. Um, but no, it is, uh, it's one of his apostles that went out named Epaphras. And Epaphras is the one that planted the church in Colossae. Uh, and a few years after he does that, he gets word that some error has started like making its way into the church. Because again, all of these people are diverse and cosmopolitan and there's different cultures there. They started to have this, um, this kind of confluence of cultural beliefs that affected how they believed about um, their faith, their spirituality, how they connected with God. It affected the foods they ate, all kinds of things. And so Epiphras gets word that they're really struggling. Here, here's, here's the question that they're really working through at this time. What is, where is God's t- true presence? Like, where do we access God? What is God's true presence like? And how do human beings have access to it? We ask that question too, right? Like that's a question I think all of us are built to wonder. Where is God's true presence and what is God like and how do we have access to it? But because of the influence from the Gnostics and from the Greeks and all of the other cultures at the time, they really started to believe that God had all of these emanations, right? Like all of these... um, sort of offshoots of the divine. And there were these different emanations of God and you could access God through one of the emanations. And good news for early Christians, Jesus was an emanation of God. The problem is they said Jesus is just one of many emanations of God. And there's all these different kind of unusual ways of knowing God and Jesus is subordinate to some and superior to others. And it started to get all kind of mixed up together. And so, so Ephaphras, who has planted this church, goes to Paul. By now, Paul's been imprisoned in Rome. And so he goes to visit him in Rome. And he says, look, I've got this group of early fledgling Christians. And they love Jesus and they want to live like Jesus. And they want to build a community that, that lifts up this work. But they've started to get confused. And so what do I do? And so Paul says, I'll write them a letter because I want to sort it out. I want to tell them, no, you can know God. And it's not through one of these emanations of God. It's through Jesus. And so Paul writes them this letter to kind of defend sound theology and to help them understand what it is that they don't need a bunch of images of God to know Jesus. I mean, they don't need a bunch of images, a a bunch of emanations to know God. They only need Jesus. So I'm going to start back in verse 15. I'm going to pick up there. Paul writes, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Paul can tell that they have forgotten how glorious Jesus is. 
right? They have totally succumbed to that hedonic adaptation. They have gotten used to the highs of somebody who came and lived on earth in a way that represented God. And they just started to think like, I guess this is just how all of these different gods, all of these emanations are. And so Paul says, if you want to know God, you have a really easy way of getting there. You have a line to it. And that is Jesus. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes that we know the nature of God because we know Jesus. We know the nature of compassion and of mercy and of nonviolence and of peace and inclusion because we see that in the human form of God. Jesus, who is compassionate and merciful and nonviolent and peaceful and fully inclusive. Here's the problem that the Colossians had fallen, fallen prey to and what we do as well is that um, we tend to sort of add things to God. We tend to lose focus and lose sight. Have you ever heard Anne Lamott writes uh, this line that we, tend, we know that we have made God in our own image when God hates the same people that we do. Or when God supports only the things that we support. Or when God seems to cheer for only the people that we cheer for. Or when God seems overly focused on one issue that we have decided to lift up then we know that we've created God in our own image, right? And that's what the Colossians had done. They had lost track of who God was because they didn't have this good sense of who Jesus was. And so Paul wants to remind them of that. So um, my husband has this uncanny ability to find a Lego anywhere in our home, okay? There are a lot of missing Legos in our home and Whitney has to practice this regularly, uh, but he can look out at any surface and find the blue Lego. And recently he was in the midst of one of these hunts and I was like, how do you always do this? How do you always find the Lego? And he said, well, you know, when the US Secret Service is trying to identify counterfeit bills, this is how he starts to tell me things. When the US Secret Service is trying to identify counterfeit bills, they do not memorize all of the variations of counterfeit bills. They memorize a printed, minted piece of US currency, and they know that intimately and fully. And so whenever they see a counterfeit bill, they're able to say, no, there is something on there that shouldn't be there or something that is not there that should be there because they know the currency well. And he was like, I have memorized the patterns of our rugs. And so now he said, your problem is you're looking for the blue Lego. He said, I'm looking at the rug. Right? Like I am, I am out there needle in a haystack looking for like one tiny Lego that is very similar. Just like sometimes I'm out there looking for one facet of God that I think might be there somewhere, right? I heard this, culture said this. It seems like everyone believes this. And now this is the facet of God I'm gonna pick up on because it seems like maybe the one that is the most important. But if I'd memorized the, the, the nature of Jesus, If I'd memorized the pattern of Jesus, just like I should memorize the pattern of our rug, then things would stick out to me, right? I wouldn't be adding to God. I wouldn't be imposing something on God. I wouldn't be trying to identify something that is not there about God. And that's what Paul wants the Colossians to see as well. When they get to know this person of Jesus, not just this like big idea about God, but this person who did three years of ministry, who went willingly to the cross, who gave his life, who was resurrected and lives, then they will know the character and the nature of God. And so Paul goes on to write this. He says, for in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. 
Verse 17, he himself is before all things and in Jesus, all things hold together. There's, there are two like really simple physics concepts that help us understand the world we are living in right now. And it's this idea of centripetal force and centrifugal force, right? So centripetal is when everything is brought closer together. When things are drawn in, there's a centripetal force that draws everything in closer together. But centrifugal force is when everything is spun out and completely separated. You think of like a centrifuge in science class and it spins things out and separates all of the particles. We have gone from living in a centripetal world where everything is drawn in together and our world is drawn closely around certain ideas to living in a completely centrifugal world where things are spun out and there is no one sense of right or of truth or of goodness, right? Everything has been totally spun out. And what happens is we live in fear and uncertainty. When it feels like everything is just centrifugal and it's just out there, it makes us wanna to cling to something, right? Uh, the poet William Yeats, wrote, William Yeats wrote at the end of World War I, he said, there is no center, things fall apart. Doesn't it feel like we live in that world sometimes? There is no center and everything is falling apart and we can't figure out what to hold on to. And that makes us even more desperate because when we don't know what's in the center and what we should hold on to, we start grasping at everything. And we start pulling at these like trapeze ropes that are just coming towards us at such a fast pace. And we don't actually know what they are. I actually love the illustration of um, trapeze artists will tell you that if you're the person that's supposed to be out there ready to grab on to the next rope, what you do is you don't reach out for it, you wait for the rope to come to you. It's like the image of God. We don't go out there and reach for all of these things that might be a central force, that might be God, might not be God. We wait for Jesus to come to us and to be the central one because he will always come to us. So this, this picture that Paul is painting here of Jesus is that in him, all things hold together. He is the central force. Now look, that means we can't divide the sacred and the secular because our tendency is to be like, oh, this part of my life is the part that is held together in Jesus. Jesus is my spiritual savior. And this means that my prayer life and my faith, this is all about Jesus and everything else, my work, the way I raise my kids, the way I take care of my physical body, the way I spend my free time, that's secular. And Jesus isn't before those things because he's not, he's not a part of my secular life, right? That's what we tend to do so often. I think even sometimes as churches, we think, okay, our, our task is to impact the culture around us. And so we're like, we're gonna make Sunday services amazing. And we put a lot of effort into Sunday services and we want them to be awesome. And we want people to come to us and we want it to be so good. And then they go out and what, it's, it's so good still? Three days later, they're still holding on to it? No, if we're serious, if we're serious about living in a centripetal world that drives everything to Jesus, we have to be out engaging as a church and also just as people, as Christ's followers, we have to see our whole world as held together by Jesus. Our, our work life, the way that we engage in art and in politics, the way that we, we meet other people that have needs, all of that is held together by Jesus. We can't put like a dividing line and say this part, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And this part is just, I get to do whatever it is that I wanna do. Our goal as Christ followers isn't, 
It isn't to impact culture to make it more Christian because this idea of Christian values flows with the wind, right? Whichever way it might go. Our goal as Christ followers is to make the culture more like Jesus, to paint this picture of Jesus, to look at the person of Jesus and say, we want it to be radically inclusive and compassionate and merciful and peace-filled. We want it to offer forgiveness over and over again. That's what our culture should look like because those are the things that Jesus stood for and that Jesus talked about. Okay, let's look at this next verse that Paul wrote to the Colossians. In verse 19, he says, for in him, for in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus, all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So what is the fullness of God? What, what makes up, put another way, what makes up God's nature or God's character? So there is a lot more than I have four minutes and 43 seconds to cover, but I just wanna lift up a couple of things. The first is that Jesus shows us God's compassion and God's mercy. In just one of many instances in which Jesus encountered a leper in his ministry. We can look at the one where he came down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount and a man comes up to him and has leprosy and says, Lord, if you will, make me clean. And Jesus says, I will. You are clean. Now look, that story, we can read it and we can be like, oh, Jesus did a healing. But here's what's so powerful about it. He healed a leper, okay? Um, If you don't know a lot about leprosy, like I would not blame you. We do not deal with leprosy, praise the Lord, uh, in the United States of America in 2023. But it is, it's not just a skin disease that is painful and makes you look really afflicted. It was a reason to be cast out of society. Like people who were lepers were not allowed to live in their communities anymore. So if you have a business and a wife and kids and a group of friends, and then you contract leprosy, you lose your business and your wife and your group of friends. You're not allowed to stay in your home and just like burrow in and get over the leprosy. No, you have to go live somewhere else. I mean, this was happening even recently in our world because leprosy is seen as such an othering disease. And Jesus went right in the middle of that othering disease and showed God's compassion and mercy and healed that person and many other lepers. And here's what I want to say about that. That healing is physical and that matters so much, but that healing is emotional and spiritual as well, because what he did is he healed someone right on back into community. When you're healed of leprosy, you go and present yourself to the priest and you're allowed to go back into your business and your wife and your kids and your group of friends. And so he healed this person and everyone right on back into fullness of relationship. That is what God does for us. Jesus, the picture of Jesus shows us that God has no impartiality, right? Or no partiality. God is totally impartial to us that we see over and over with the leper, with the Samaritan woman, Jesus meets a woman at a well. She is a Samaritan. This is maybe worse than engaging with a leper because she is completely an other and he is not supposed to engage with her. And not only does he talk to her, but he asks her to use her impure, impure hands to draw water for him. And then he drinks that water and he shows that God goes way past prejudice, all of these ingrained things that Jews would have had. God goes way past believing anyone is less than or othered and says like you are radically included in all of this. Jesus shows us God's way of nonviolence up until the end. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane being arrested and one of his disciples uses a sword to cut off the ear 
of one of the Roman guards. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He is on his way to death. And he says, we are not going to be violent. If you want to know what Jesus, what God is like, if you want to grasp God, if you want to get the sense of who God is, look no further than Jesus. The The uh, pastor, A.W. Tozer, who was a great pastor uh, who passed away about 50 years ago, he famously says, what we believe about God is the most important thing that we believe. And the reason he says that is he goes on to talk about how it shapes us. It's not just like what we believe and like that's critical to our faith. No, what we believe about God and who God is shapes everything else. It shapes the way that we forgive or don't forgive, include or don't include. It shapes the way that we help or don't help others. It shapes the way that we love or don't love others. It affects every bit of our lives. So on his deathbed, N.T. Wright says that these are the words he will say when he gets there. This is a great theologian and, and he is asked once, what will you say to your children and your grandchildren if these are your last words? And here's what he says. If you wanna know who God is, look at Jesus. If you wanna know what it means to be a human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you wanna know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you become a central character in that drama, the great drama of God, the drama of the world that we live in. Let's not just be spectators. Let's be central characters because we're following so closely behind that actual person of Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. Let's pray.